Father, thank you that you're a God that wants to reveal yourself, that wants to speak to us, that's pursuing us in love. I pray that we would grasp that more fully, that I would grasp that more fully through the power of your word and through the power of the stories that we share this afternoon. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think about your life for a moment. Think about why you're sitting here this, this afternoon. Uh, imagine that your great-great-grandmother had never met your great-great-grandfather. Have you ever thought about that fact? What if they hadn't have met? And I mean, maybe, maybe, and you don't have to get into your family history, but maybe they were born, you were, your great-grandmother was born out of wedlock. What if, what if that hadn't have happened? You wouldn't be sitting here this afternoon. You ever thought about that? I mean, what if, what if something had happened to your great-great-great-great-grandmother before she met your great-great-great-great... I'm going to get mixed up here, but... Have you thought about that? I mean, how many different couples through the years had to meet and had to have a child at just the right moment? And you think about it, every time that you go to have a child, I appreciate this so much more than now that I have my twin little one-year-old girls. You could have an... I mean, there's millions of different possibilities of the child that could be had. And yet you are sitting here today. Why? Why are you here in Burlingame on Sabbath afternoon in February of 2020? Why are you here this morning? Well, I believe it's because of something that God tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. It says this, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. God chose you. He wanted you to exist. And not only that, but this verse goes on to say that He chose you for salvation. He chose you because He wanted to live with you forever and ever. What an incredible reality. Like That's God's purpose for your life. It's already planned out. It's already predestined. It goes on to say you're predestined to adoption. That's God's plan for you. It's kind of fascinating when you look at the history of our lives. I mean, do any of you have any prostitutes that were great-great-grandmothers? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. That's fine. <laughs> Look with me at Matthew chapter 1. You know, when I, I, I've picked up the Bible and I think, well, let's start in the New Testament. I'm going to start with the Gospels. And, and you pick up Matthew chapter 1, and it is fascinating when you pick it up and you start reading it. If you've ever read it before and you read Matthew chapter 1, I mean, just look at the richness of this chapter. Starts off, the book of the genealogy, that's the family tree, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. How many of you are so thrilled that we are reading Matthew chapter 1 this afternoon? Alright, so if you're like me, usually when I'm reading through this chapter in the Bible, about this time my mind begins to shut off and I think, oh, why is this here? I, this was important for them, but I don't think it's important for me. There is incredible stuff in this chapter, and we're going to find that by noticing what's different. So you notice so far, we're seeing men who had a son, a man had a son, a man had a son. What we're going to pick out is what's different in the genealogy. And you can do that with Genesis chapter 5. You can do that with other genealogies. What's highlighted? What's the special stuff that's brought out in this list of names? Right? So, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so far, it's all the usual. But now check out chapter, uh, verse 3. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. You see something different? The first woman is mentioned. Do you guys know this story? It's okay. Most people don't. Right? So, Genesis chapter 38. You gotta go read it this afternoon. Because here's what happens in Genesis chapter 38. Okay, this, this is something that your children couldn't watch on TV. Because in Genesis chapter 38, Judah has three sons. He gets one of them to, and, who marries Tamar. That son dies, so he gives a second one to marry Tamar. That one dies. And the reason they would do that is so that they would be able to have offspring and the family name could continue. And that was the way things were designed to happen. So then he says, well, hang on. My youngest son, Sheila, is not old enough yet to marry you, Tamar. So just wait a while. 
So she waits, and she waits, and she waits, and she waits, and then she realizes Judah's playing with her. He's not about to give her Sheila. And she's going to be a widow for the rest of her life, which meant she didn't have property, it meant that she didn't have rights, and she's not okay with that. So she dresses up like a harlot, and the language is really like a, a, a cultic prostitute. This is all in Genesis 38, I promise. You've got to go read it this afternoon. If you haven't read Genesis lately, it's all there. So she's there, she dresses up like a prostitute. Judah comes by, he's going up to shear sheep, and he's in a good mood, I guess, and he takes the prostitute, he goes into his daughter-in-law, and that's in the story here. And he, he, she ends up having Paris and Why is this in Jesus' genealogy? Okay, let's keep going. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Whoops. Oh, sorry. We we're going to make a list here of, of things that are in his family history. So, so far we've seen incest, right? And we've seen cultic prostitution that's in Jesus' family history. Uh, so you may feel like, well, I don't know if I could ever be a person that really follows God. You don't know what I'm dealing with in the, like my past history. Okay, Jesus had cultic prostitution, incest in his family tree. But let's keep reading. Verse 4. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashan. Nashan begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Do you see anything different yet? All right, here's Rahab. You remember the story of Rahab? Okay, so Rahab is the one who's in Jericho, and what was her profession? She was a prostitute also. She harbored the spies, and that's good and all, but she's a prostitute. Okay, another prostitute. And and what else do you know about her? Was she an Israelite? No, she's a Canaanite. They're these heathen people who are going to be cast out of the land because they're so evil that that God can't have them living there anymore. Right? She's a Canaanite. She's a prostitute. And she's in God's, uh, Jesus' family history. Then we keep reading. Uh, verse 5 continues. It says, Sam, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. And then Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Oh, this gets even more fun. You see, you see another lady mentioned there? There's only four ladies mentioned here. And we're, we're going through them pretty quickly here. But Ruth... What was she? You know what she was? She was a Moabite. Right? So now we have not just incest, cultic prostitution, prostitution, a Canaanite, but we also have a Moabite in Jesus' family history. And you're sitting here thinking, okay, what's the big deal, Moabite? Okay, you probably don't know the story about the Moabites. Because here's the thing. How did the Moabites come into existence? Genesis chapter 19. So you have Lot. He's in the, 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 the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and he gets sent out of there. He gets drug out by the angels. He's rescued out of there. Whole nother story. And he says, let me go to this little city. And then the only ones who are with him are his two daughters. Then he's, he says, I'm not even going to stay here. I'm going to go up into the mountains in this cave. So he's in, this, in the mountains in this cave with his two daughters. And his daughters are like, hey, there's no man around anymore. There's no possible way that we could have children. I know what we'll do. Let's get our father drunk. We'll get him drunk enough that he'll come in and sleep with us. And the oldest daughter goes and does it, and then she convinces the younger daughter to do it. Okay, so this is in Jesus' family history. Okay, this, this, is, this is who's mentioned here as, as we're going through this. Because, okay, so the, the, one of the children that they had was Moab, who later became the forefathers of all the Moabites. And Ruth was a Moabite. So then we keep reading. So after Ruth begot uh, Jesse by, uh, by Obed, then Jesse begot David the king. And notice what it highlights. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. It's highlighting the fact that David has this child by the f- stealing somebody else's wife, murdering Uriah. So you have adultery, you have murder, 
You have all of this in Jesus' family history. Incest, cultic prostitution, prostitution, Canaanite, Moabite, adultery, murder. All listed in Jesus' family history. Not just listed, but this is highlighted. This is like, hey, it's, it's the very beginning of the story of Jesus. It's highlighting, hey, these are the folks that were in Jesus' family. Fascinating, isn't it? So then it goes on in verse 18. And it says now, uh, verse 16, sorry. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name, the angel comes and says, his name is going to be Jesus. And the name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves. That's the reality. He comes and is born. And what he wants you to know this, this afternoon is that Jesus saves. Yahweh saves. Jesus means that God saves. He's in the business of saving prostitutes, harlots, and maybe even me. And maybe even you. It's an amazing God that we have. And He's pursuing us. He's coming along all the way through. And this is the picture because it's telling us that, hey, it didn't just start here, but Jesus has been active throughout history. right? So Jesus is born as a human here. But before that, He was active working for salvation in all of these messy situations. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says it this way. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. So the law couldn't accomplish it. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So He came with that family history. He came with all that baggage, with all that that heredity in in His past, so that you could know this morning that there is a Savior. He knows what you've been through. He knows what it feels like to have a history and a past that's not pretty. And he knows how to save out of all of that. So the angel says that his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, prophesying about Jesus coming, tells us something fascinating. Okay, so it says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now this is going to become important later on as we look at Bethlehem. But talking about Bethlehem, it says, you Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, though you're this is small town, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. This is how the, they knew that Jesus was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. It says, that's the place he's going to be born. But then look at what it says about him. Whose goings forth are from, what does it say? Of old, from everlasting. You know what this is saying in plain, simple English? Jesus has been saving throughout history. Jesus has been pursuing people throughout history. And Jesus is pursuing you. Do you know what it's like to have somebody pursuing you? To know that somebody is actually chasing after you? And, and to not even know about it? So this morning, I shared my, my story, uh, some of it. And, and I'm so glad that we were praying right before this for the people that are in the far country. Because there were a lot of people praying for me when I was in that far country. And I'm so grateful for those prayers because that unleashes God's power in a special way. And there was somebody praying for me that I had no idea was even praying for me. You see, I remember being at college and I was there sitting at my desk. I was studying for something when suddenly, I mean, this is back in the early 2000s, so it wasn't, you know, like our smartphones that we had. But suddenly my phone buzzes and I look down. It's a text message. Yeah, I know. We just started texting. That was no big deal. But it was from my mom. I, my mom is texting? What, uh, why is my, how does my mom know how to do this? I text back, how do you even know how to do this? She said, oh, well, I've become friends with this girl named Leah. You see, there was this girl named Leah who had, um, she, make a long story short, she had a passion to know God more herself. 
Uh, and that happened is somewhat through hearing my mom's testimony, hearing and, and observing my mom's relationship with God and seeing the, the way that my mom prayed uh, and, and believed promises were like personal to her. She said, I want to know God like that. And they became prayer partners. And as they were prayer partners, you know, I'm suddenly getting text messages because she's teaching my mom how to text. I'm like, who is this girl? Didn't think much about it. I'd been in a relationship for like two and a half years. Well, one day, as they were praying together, Leah asked my mom, do you have anything special that I could pray for you for? (laughs) And some of you told me that you had heard her whenever she asked people to pray for something. She said, oh, you got to pray for Zach. (laughs) Please pray for Zach. Because he needs some prayer. <laughs> I needed prayer. So she asked her, well, could you pray for Zach? And so she used to go out like rollerblading and she would read her scripture cards and she would pray for people. And so she's out rollerblading, Leah is, and she's praying. And she's praying for Zach, my mom's son. And, she, and she's praying for me. She doesn't know me. But suddenly she starts to like me. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. She's... She was like a a senior in high school. I was a sophomore in college. I had a girlfriend. She's like, I don't understand what's going on. He has a girlfriend. I'm not trying to be creepy here. (laughs) But I'm starting to like this guy. And as she prayed more and more for me, she found that she kept liking me more. She was asking God, would you take this away from me? Because I don't want to fall in love with somebody that I, I could never be with. Did you know that God has a plan for your life? That that God is active in your life? That that though you may not recognize it, He is your Savior. And He has provided for your salvation completely if you'll choose to accept it. If you'll choose to walk into the amazing gift that He's promised to give to you. Let's look at some of these stories in a little more detail real fast. Are you okay with that this morning? uh, This afternoon? Can you... And you muster up a little mental fortitude to dive into these stories. And what we want to see is how Jesus shows up. Because this is all about knowing Jesus. So these are messy stories. Is Jesus really active even in the mess of people's lives? Even when their lives are falling apart? You know, my life was falling apart. I told you about that. Once my girlfriend broke up with me, you think I'd be happy because I asked God, will help her to break up with me if it's not your will? I wasn't happy. I was throwing up in the bathroom. I was up in the middle of the night. I was sick, literally sick. I I lost purpose. I was like, hey, I was headed to be a business major. I was hoping to make millions and to retire young and do I don't care about any of it anymore. I lost my focus in life. Well, here in these stories, the first one we have is Judah. And you remember I just told you the story. Judah's the one who went into a apparent cultic prostitute. It looks like it's his uh, just a regular old prostitute, but it's actually his daughter-in-law. So in Genesis chapter 38, towards the end of the chapter, it says this. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. Now, here's the thing. We are usually the most critical when we have our own baggage in our life. And when we're trying to tear somebody else down, it's often because we feel like we need to puff ourselves up. So watch what Judah does. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Okay, this story just got all the worse. He's going to burn his daughter-in-law who he slept with and didn't know it and she's with child by him. Can Jesus save in the midst of the mess of our lives? Can Jesus save in a crazy situation like this? Verse 25, When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine who these are. And she had his signet, his cord, and his staff. Oh, now he's pegged. How's he going to react? Clearly, he is the one who's guilty here. Will he just ignore this and go ahead and have her burned? Look at verse 26. So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Sheila, my son. Now notice, it doesn't say, and so he went on and continued in that relationship, but it says, and he never knew her again. He didn't go on with it, but he also 
gave grace in that situation, recognizing that she was more righteous than he was. And then, it's amazing, because now it came to pass, verse 27, now it came to pass at that time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. Now, this is an incredible thing, because in the entire Bible, we have two to three sets of twins that are named. And this is one of the sets of twins. Here she is. She's a widow. She's got no hope for a future. Being a woman in a man's world, not being able to own property, not being able to look out for herself. And now she's got twin boys that she's carrying in her womb. And those were two of Jesus. Great, 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 great. Well, one of Jesus. Great, 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 great grandfathers. You think about it. If it weren't for this story taking place, Jesus wouldn't have had the human side of the DNA that he had because Mary was also a son of David, so a child of David. So Jesus wouldn't have been who he was without coming through the mess of this situation. His comings are from of everlasting. And you think about it, Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He came through Judah. And sometimes when we think about that Lion of the tribe of Judah, we think about a fierce lion rather than recognizing a lion that's longing to simply embrace us. A lion that's on our side. A lion that is ferocious about saving you. A lion that is pursuing you because he's not willing to live without you. So then, we keep going. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Does God show up in that story? Does Jesus show up in that story? Verse 11 of Joshua chapter 2 says this, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. This is Rahab talking to the spies. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Here's a a Canaanite prostitute who the Holy Spirit has been speaking to. And she's like, clearly, your God is the true God. Right? And so... They say, hey, hang this cord out the window and your family can be saved. Anybody who chooses can have the salvation that's offered. Then we have Boaz who begot Obed by Ruth, the Moabite. Now, I noticed on your faces that you didn't really capture what Moabite really means when you're reading the Bible. Okay, So we already saw clearly that this is a pretty bad story and the fact that it's Lot's daughters who are coming into him. So we have incest in the story, but what about the Moabites themselves? Well, check this out. The Moabite king was the one who, Balak, who hired Balaam to come and curse the Israelites when they're headed to the promised land. That doesn't work out so well because Balaam actually says these blessings for him again and again. Blessings that actually foretold even that Jesus would come. And then... This is what Balaam does. Since he can't curse them with his words, this is what he does. Genesis chapter, uh, well, we saw this. Genesis, let's go back to Genesis 19 before we get there. Genesis chapter 19, when they, thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. So we want to look at who are these Moabites. So Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1. This is what Balaam gets the Moabites to do to God's people. It says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit, what does it say? Harlotry with the women of Moab. Right, so he sends the women of Moab in to seduce God's people. This is who the Moabites were. If you don't believe it, just keep on reading. Verse 2, they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. So they, they worshipped all these other gods, and we'll see what those are like in just a moment. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So he seduced the people into harlotry and into worshipping these other gods instead of the true God on their way to the promised land. But look at what happened to Solomon. First Kings chapter 11 and verse 7, it says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon, which is the other child that was born to Lot's other daughter. So Solomon was seduced by these women. You remember how Solomon, he started off so wise, and then he became the ultimate fool? 
part of that was the Moabites seducing him to worship the god Chemosh. And look at what these gods were like. In 2 Kings chapter 3, 26 and 27, it tells us that when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. You know, this kind of story used to... I thought it was terrible until I had kids. And now I think it's the worst abomination possible. To think that you could take your own child. And think that, that God is the type of person that in order to be satisfied with you, in order to give you favor, in order to look on you positively, that you have to kill your child as a sacrifice in order to please this deity so they'll give you favor. And yet sometimes in my own life, I've thought that there's a whole lot of things i got to do, sacrifices that I have to make to please this God in order for Him to do me good. That's not who God is. God is love. God's the one who gives Himself in His Son. The one who loves you more than His own existence. Who says, I'd rather that you live a happy life than that I live. And so I'm going to lay down my life on the cross for you. Total opposite of the Moabites. So here you have Ruth. She's a Moabite. But she's married to the son of somebody from Bethlehem who they had left Bethlehem because of a famine that was happening there. And they go off and they get married to Moabites. And then they're about to leave that country and to come back because both of the sons died. She's a widow. And Naomi says, okay, I'm going back to my country. And as she's going back to her country, both her daughter-in-laws are following with her. And, and she tells them both, look, go back to your country. Go back to your gods. And Orpah says, okay, I'm off. I'm going back. It, it's, it's where I know. It's where I can survive. I have nothing there. It's dangerous for me to go to Israel. And so she said to Ruth, because Ruth is still clinging to her, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go back with her. Why are you still coming with me? You, sh you shouldn't do this. And look at what Ruth says. Verse 16, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I'm going to go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people. And your God, my God. I want to know your God. I want to know Jesus. That was the purpose of Ruth's life. She said, I want to know this God that you've told me about. So she went to Bethlehem. And friends, there is redemption in Bethlehem. She goes with Naomi. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, returned to the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So here they come. They've got nothing. They're two ladies. They have no options for land ownership. They have no options for being able to, to produce for themselves. They're in a lot of trouble. Verse, uh, but then we get the whole story where Boaz shows up and Boaz is friendly to Ruth and begins to favor her. And so chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi says, really? Boaz? Well, he's actually, the wording she uses in chapter 2, verse 20, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. This, is, this guy has the potential to help us out of the situation. Chapter 4, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And it was through that son, when it says the Lord gave her conception, I mean, he was allowing for the promise of this Messiah who was going to be born to come through Ruth, a Moabitess. What an incredible story that is. Friends, if you haven't gotten it yet, Jesus is pursuing you. He's pursuing me. In fact, as, as Leah and I, <clears throat> I shouldn't say Leah and I, we didn't even know each other yet. I went to SoCal camp meeting. Have any of you ever been to SoCal camp meeting before? Well, I was at SoCal camp meeting. I was still dating this other girl, but apparently the story, at least from Leah's sister, is that they were 
parked in an RV in SoCal, in Central City, and I would walk past. I was working on this business venture, and I was actually in case lots trying to sell this product. And as I'm trying to sell this product, every day I would walk past on my way home at night. And apparently, when I would walk past, her whole family, not knowing that she's starting to like me, not knowing that she's praying for me, they would pull the shades back, and they'd be like, Leah, look, look at that guy walking past. He'd be a good one for you. She's like, no, he has a boyfriend. But every time, apparently, according to his sister, she, they would point me out. I got to meet Leah there, but little did I know um, that she was praying for me and that she was falling in love with me. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he's working for your salvation before you have an idea of what he's up to. Fast forward a little bit, um, just a few days really, the next week, my girlfriend breaks up with me. My life is falling apart. I hit rock bottom and I'm thinking, okay, where do I go from here? What's next for me in my life? I said, I know what. I'm going to give this year to God. God impressed me through different things. He showed me um, in Psalm, I believe it's chapter 73, that he will guide me with his counsel and afterward receive me to glory. He said, look, just, just give me your life. I had two options at that point. Like, I could choose what God is throwing in towards me, or I could go the opposite direction. So I said, okay, God, if you open up the doors, I'm going to give you at least a year. Just, just going to open it up. You can have this year. So I told my parents, I want to go and be a student missionary, and I want to go to one of those islands where it's like really fun to be a student missionary, and I could surf, and I could scuba dive, and all that. My parents got really worried. They're saying, okay, you're really depressed. You've just been broken up with. You're going to go to an island and you're going to be all by yourself. It's not going to work out so well. We don't think that's the best of ideas. Like, well, I know. At camp meeting, I had seen this group of people. They had like rock crawlers at the youth tent and they were teaching kids how to know Jesus. They were called the youth evangelism team and they were just starting. And I was like, what about the youth evangelism team? Or maybe my parents said it first. Do you think there's any possibility that you could join the youth evangelism team? My mom's like, well, let's, would you be interested in that? I said, yes, I, I think I would be. I, I'd give a year to that. I'd volunteer for that. So you know who she went and called? She immediately went into her bedroom and she calls Leah. Leah, Zach's going to join the youth evangelism team. Can he, do you think you could work it out so he could join it? She's like, yes, we will work this out. My mom had no idea that Leah was starting to fall in love with me. I had no idea, but God knew. God was opening up doors for us to get to know each other. And she called the leader of the team and was like, hey, guess what? This guy is going to join our team. Didn't give him an option, even though he was the leader. And thankfully, God opened up the door. I got to join it. And as I began to do ministry with this girl and with a whole other team of people, she didn't let on at all that she liked me. I had no clue that that was her intention. And you might be sitting here right now having no clue that there's a God who's recklessly in love with you. A God who's pursuing you. A God who won't let you go. A God who's not willing to take no as an answer, although He'll let you give Him that answer. God is in love with you. He's pursuing you. Don't miss that in your life. Because he loves you so much. So we see here, Jesse begot David, the king. David, the king, begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So how did God bring good out of this situation? Did did Jesus save when you have David murdering Uriah and taking Bathsheba? How do you have God showing up in this? Well, we see it in the heart that David has. When Nathan shows up to him, and here you have a prophet pointing him out and saying, you're the man, you're the one that sinned. And he has the choice. Do I cut off his head? But David responds in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I, I recognize that I've messed up here. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You will not die. God will redeem this for you, David. In fact, Even though you have all these other kids who could be the ones that the heir comes through to be on the throne, it's going to be Solomon, the one that comes through Bathsheba, who's going to sit on the throne and who will be the progenitor eventually for Jesus himself. 
I'm going to redeem the worst of situations in your life, and I'm going to turn them around for infinite good. That's the God that we serve. Steps to Christ says this about what Jesus has done in, in uniting himself with humanity. This is pictured here. The type of humanity that he's uniting himself with is no different from you and I. Steps to Christ, page 52, says this. Jesus loves to have us come to him just as we are. Sinful, helpless, dependent. We may come with all of our weakness, our folly, our sinfulness, and fall at his feet in penitence. Could you bring that to Jesus? Could you bring your sinfulness today? If you're not a sinner, these messages are not for you. But if you need a Savior, then this week is about knowing a Savior. goes on to say, it is His glory. This is what, what makes Him powerful, beautiful. This is what makes God awesome. It is His glory to encircle us in His arms of love and to bind up our wounds, to cleanse us from all impurity, to transform our lives, to take David, the murderer and adulterer, and to make him into a man after his own heart. That's what God is all about. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, He didn't just choose you, but it goes on to say that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He chose you, that you should be holy. And that means to be like God, to be a person of love. That's what God has chosen you for. And Isaiah 65 verse 1 says this, I was sought, like, I was sought after by those who did not ask for me. You get that? So the people that weren't asking, that weren't looking, the people that were clueless, that, those people that you prayed for that are in a far-off country, or maybe you right now who are saying, I'm not looking for God. I'm not asking for God. He says, I was found by people that didn't look for me. I, and then he goes on to say, I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Can you hear God right now? He's saying, here I am. Hey, here here, here I am. Here, here, here I am. I'd like to be friends. I love you. I want to be your savior. No matter where you're coming from, no matter your history, no matter your past, it says, here I am. I'd like to be your God. I'd like to be your savior. And I'd like to lead you on this delightful journey of knowing me, of falling in love with me, and I'll transform your heart. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about it. Seven o'clock tomorrow night, we're going to talk about being called to pleasure. Pleasureful obedience. Do you know that God wants you to actually delight in following His commands? It's an amazing thing that He's calling us to. And He's looking for prostitutes. He's looking for all types of people. And He wants them to come to Himself. So, we're working together on this team, Leah and I, and as time goes on, I begin to fall in love with her. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. If only I could be worthy of a girl like that. In fact, my mom tells a story about how one day I came back from our first outing as a team together, and she's asking me, so what about this girl that's on the team? What did you think of her? What do you think of this person on the team? And then she asked me about Leah, and she says I just sat down extremely slowly and was very contemplative. I said, if only I could be worthy of a girl like that. Because Leah had never had a boyfriend. She was this sweet girl. She was this loving girl. She was this beautiful girl. She had everything that I was not worthy of. Everything that, that I did not deserve was in Leah. And there's like a conspiracy against me because you know what my mom did? She immediately went to her bedroom. She called Leah on the phone. She's like, this is what Zach just said. He said, you're beautiful. He said this about you. He said this. I didn't have a chance. And God's doing everything possible in your life so that, if possible, you don't have a chance but to be saved. In fact, I was kind of cowardly, maybe you might say, in our relationship. I was just enjoying becoming friends. And finally, Leah's like, hey, let's go to the park and let's talk. Like, okay, let's do that. (laughs) So we sit down in the park and we're sitting there. She's like, I want to talk about us. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I should be thinking about this. I should be like asking her to be my girl. Why didn't I think of this? She was pursuing me. (laughs) She might not admit that to you, (laughs) but she really was. She said, 
you know, what's next for us? And I said, well, if it means anything to you, you could be my girlfriend. <laughs> and we began to date. And I remember that phone conversation where I had to tell her, you know, we were dating at a distance at that point, and I, I, I had to tell her, you know, there's some things in my past. There's, there's this history, there's these things that I've done, there's these girls that I've... I'm, it breaks my heart to have to tell you these things. And she listened, she listened, and then you know what she said? Well, Zach, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone... And the new has come. That's what Jesus says to you this morning. No matter where you've come from, no matter your past, no matter what's taken place in your life, you are a new creation when you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, He's making the invitation right now. He's constantly making it. Will you choose me? Mary was, or Joseph was told that Jesus would be born. His name will be Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1 and verse 21. Then in verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. There's redemption in Bethlehem. There's a God who's seeking you, who's determined that He's going to become human, who looked at this tiny little speck of a planet and said, I'm going there because there will be people sitting in Burlingame in 2020 who need me. And I want to live with them forever. And so I have this plan of how I am going to save them so that they can live with me forever. It's a setup. I'm just letting you know. It's already been planned out by God how you could be saved question is, will you choose it? Sept, uh, Desire of Ages says it this way. So the work of redeeming us, just like with Ruth, and our inheritance, lost through sin, fell upon him who is near of kin unto us, just like Boaz was. It was to redeem us that he became our kinsman. He came close because he wanted to save. If you question whether you're savable, just look to Bethlehem and the fact that Jesus was born. Then it goes on to say, closer than father, mother, brother, friend, or lover is the Lord our Savior. Amen. That's how close He wants to be to you and to me. Fear not, He says, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Since you are precious in my sight, you have been honorable and I have loved you. Therefore, I have given men for you and people for thy life. Isaiah 43 verses 1 and 4. Then this, don't miss this. This is back in Steps to Christ, page 72. This, this amazing little book. If you don't, haven't read it before, I challenge you to read it. I like to read it at least every year. Sometimes I listen to it multiple times. Uh, but it's a book that just talks about knowing Jesus, what we're talking about. Look at what it says, page 72. When Christ took human nature upon him, he bound humanity to himself by a tie of love that can never be broken by any power save the choice of man himself. Friends, salvation has already been accomplished for you if you'll choose it. You just have to choose the gift. You have to accept the gift. Will you choose to accept that gift today? Will you choose to, to accept what Jesus has accomplished for you? John 1 verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have received, and grace for grace. He became human, the infinite God of the universe, so that you and I could live with Him forever. So, a guy by the name of Tony Campolo was traveling from the East Coast out to Honolulu. And he was there on a, a business trip, I believe it was. And then when he got to Honolulu, I don't know if you've ever traveled that far and you have kind of the, the jet lag. Well, it's, it's uh, what is that? About nine hour jet lag or something like that from the East Coast. Maybe six, six hour jet lag. So when it comes to 3 a.m. in the morning... He says, I always wake up early in the morning. I was wide awake, 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm in Honolulu 
Where do I get breakfast at 3 a.m. in the morning? It's like 9 a.m. back at home and I'm starving. So he said, I went out on the streets of Honolulu. The only place that's open is this greasy spoon diner. So he walks in, he goes up to the counter, this gruff guy behind the counter named Harry says, what do you want? He says, oh, I don't know. What do you have? He gave, me, gave him a menu. He said he didn't even want to touch the menu. It looked so dirty. And he said, okay, uh, just give me a coffee and a donut. So they bring it out. He's there eating his donut, drinking his coffee, when all of a sudden, these, this crowd comes in. Uh, several different women come in, and they're sitting on either side of him. And before long, he recognizes the fact that it's 3.30 in the morning, and these are prostitutes who just got off work. And they're sitting on either side of me, and I'm eating breakfast. Well, he's listening to their conversation, and one of them says to another, Hey, did you know that tomorrow's my birthday? And the other girl looks over at Agnes and says, So what? Who cares? What do you want me to do? Like throw you a birthday party or something? She says, Hey, I wasn't asking for anything big. I've never had a birthday party in my life. I wouldn't expect that of you. She looked down and finished her breakfast. The prostitutes left. Tony wasn't leaving. He ate his donut really slow or something. And he stayed there until they all left. And then he said to the big guy behind the counter, Harry, he said, I'd like to make a proposal. Do these ladies come in here every morning about this time? He's like, oh yeah, they're regulars. They come in every single... Why do you want, Why do you want to know about that? <laughs> Why do you want to know about the prostitutes? He said, I have an idea. I heard Agnes say that it's her birthday tomorrow and that she's never had a birthday party in her life. Can we throw her a birthday party here? I'll I'll get all the supplies. I'm going to get a banner that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. We're going to throw a birthday party for Agnes right here. The guy says, Okay, I'll agree to that on one condition, that you let me make the cake. Okay, okay, Harry, you can make the cake. You can make the cake. So he went off and he began to make plans for the next morning. And I just want to read for you exactly the way that he said it, because it's, it's beautiful as he recounts this story. He said, at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some cray paper decorations at the store and had made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street, because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. <laughs> It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. At 3.30, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready, and we all screamed, Happy birthday, Agnes! Never had I seen a person so flabbergasted. Her mouth fell open, and her legs buckled. When we finished singing, her eyes moistened. When the cake was carried out, She started to cry. Harry gruffly mumbled, Blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles for you. (laughs) Finally, he did. The cutting of the cake took even longer. Cut the cake, Agnes. We all want some cake. Look, Harry, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? If we don't eat it right away? She wanted to take the cake home to show it to her family because she'd never had a birthday cake in her entire life. Sure, if you want to keep the cake, keep it. Take the, home cake, take the cake home if you want. Can I? And looking at me, I just live down the street. I want to take the cake home. Okay, I'll, I'll be right back. She carried the cake out the door like it was the Holy Grail. We stood there motionless, silence in the place, not knowing what else to do. I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for me to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes, for her salvation, that her life would be changed, that God would be good to her. When I finished praying, Harry leaned over the counter and said with a trace of irritation, Hey, you never told me that you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? In one of those moments, when just the right words come, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. 
Harry waited a moment. Then he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. Friends, Jesus didn't just choose you so that you could enjoy Jesus. But he's called us to be his agents for pursuing the people out there who need to know his love. He wants us to open our arms wide that we'll be a church that will throw birthday parties for prostitutes that will do whatever it takes to let our next door neighbor know Jesus loves you. I mean, think about the incredible gift that you have to offer to the world. You can say, look, your salvation has been accomplished. I want to invite you to come to know Jesus as a friend. And if you come to know Him, it's not about what you do, it's who you know. And who you know will change what you do. He'll transform everything in your life. He'll make it infinitely better if you'll only get to know Him as your best friend. That's the invitation, the simple invitation that God wants us to be making to the world. He's making it to you, and if you haven't accepted it yet, don't walk out of here without accepting it. It, The only way that you can be lost is to choose not to accept Jesus as your Savior. So don't walk out of here without choosing, and don't wake up tomorrow without choosing. Don't go to sleep tonight without choosing constantly choose Jesus, say, I have nothing else, I'm living the wrong life, but Jesus, I choose you and I want to know you. Pick up your Bible, listen to your Bible, take time to get to know this incredible friend. And then invite people to birthday parties for prostitutes. Say, come on, we've got to invite you to this amazing thing. You've got to know about the God who comes and saves prostitutes, people that were born through incest, who will save anybody who's willing. That's what we get to do. If that's your desire, I just want to invite you to to bow your heads with me. First of all, I don't want you to leave here without that opportunity, if maybe you haven't done it before, to say, Jesus, I choose you. I accept you as my Savior. And if you've done it before, then just do it again. Say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you save me? And then, would you ask him to make you an agent of salvation? Would you say, Jesus, would you teach me? Would you open up doors? Not just that, but would you just do it through me? Would you love people through me to the point where I'm throwing birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? God, we are so unworthy of you. Thank you that All you want us to bring to you is our sinfulness, our helplessness, and to bring it to your feet. So God, I'm here bringing nothing to you except for my baggage, my history, my past. Thank you for making me a new creation. (laughs) Thank you for making each person here a new creation. And thank you that you have a plan for each life here that you are already working for their salvation, that you have incredible surprises for them, just like bringing Leah into my life, one of the best gifts you've ever given me. Lord God, I pray that we would know you as the God who throws birthday parties for prostitutes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.